I was like so stressed out. I ended up holding the property for two years because we were in litigation for two years. Um, the house needed a ton of work. It was um, getting broken into all the time because a lot of the time it was vacant. Um, I mean, this house like literally took off, like shaved off five years of my life expectancy as far as how much stress. Um, we, and she had a lawyer, like she got some, I think it was like a family friend lawyer. So he. A great book can totally challenge your conventional thinking and change your life for good. However, some of us just don't have the luxury of time of sitting down to read a book. But there are some instances in which we do have dead time. And these are perfect times to learn. So we can learn while driving instead of jamming to the same music on the radio. Or maybe at the gym. Well, now you can. Dwelling has partnered with Amazon's Audible to give you, the Dwell listeners, a free book. Yes, a free book. So all you have to do is go to audibletrial.com forward slash dwelling and download your free book this will also be in the show notes you can click on the link and if you don't have a book in mind and you say hola i don't actually know where to start with well awesome because i can tell you one to start with today it's a quintessential classic it's called rich dad poor dad so download rich dad poor dad and that would basically just take your mind on a different spin of course i'm always open to hear um, from our dwell listeners so email me at hola at dwelling.com and then feel free to also give us a rating and review. This really helps us to rank better in iTunes. I can't wait to hear from you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us on The Dwelling Show. I'm your host, Ola Dantes. I've got the incredible Lauren Hardy with us today. Hey, Lauren, how are you doing? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Doing fantastic. Doing fantastic. I cannot wait to jump in, um, but I definitely want you to tell our listeners a little bit more about, you know, who Lauren is, what you're, you know, what you've been up to, what you're doing lately. Awesome. Well, my name is Lauren Hardy. I am from Orange County, California. I am a real estate investor. I've done a, a little bit of everything. I flipped houses. Um, still flip houses. I do uh, wholesaling and um, I've built homes, uh, held some rentals. So I've done a little bit of everything. Um, currently, my focus is virtual wholesaling. Um, so I invest in areas that are not in my backyard. I'm living in the state of California, it's super expensive. It's very hard to make good returns here. So I have to invest out of state. Um, because I've had to figure that out, it was quite a challenge. Um, I came up with a coaching program, so I now teach other people how to invest out of state and how to manage it and uh, best practices, you know, kind of A to Z. How do, you, how do you run a real estate wholesaling or investing business out of state? So that's what I'm doing. I do also, I'm just a busy lady, I guess. I'm also a mom of two little girls, ages six and nine. Yeah, so I, I can definitely relate. I, I've got two kids myself, so I'm officially a feminist. I've got a two-month-old and a three-year-old, so I'm right there with you. And I don't, you know, I don't know how you have time to, to do real estate because even, you know, I'm struggling just to, to get time. So we definitely will talk about that, you know, being a single mom. So I want us to kind of roll back a little bit to, you know, how you got started. Why real estate? I mean, you could have been doing anything else in the world. Why go into this business and why wholesaling? Well, I kind of had a real estate background. My, my dad held rentals um, and he, you know, talked to me a lot about real estate and the benefits of it. 
Um, he did not, uh, he was actually a CPA and a college professor, but he invested in real estate on the side. And he had said, you know, if he were to do it over again, he would have gotten into real estate. So he, you know, growing up hearing that enough, I said, okay, well, I'm just going to not make your mistake and I'll just get into real estate. There wasn't much thought about it. <laughs> I just kind of assumed that was always what I was going to do. I started in corporate real estate, um, more of a commercial real estate background. And it wasn't until my first daughter was born that I wanted to find something that I could do more on like a self-employed basis, something that I could work from home and do. So flipping houses, it was a kind of natural transition to house flipping. It was something that, you know, someone with not a ton of money could get into. So that was my first start was just flipping homes locally in the Southern California market. Yeah. And how was that for you? Because um, did some flipping myself wasn't for me. Um, you know, a lot of folks start in different parts of real estate. You know, how was that for you? You know, flipping houses seems like, you know, a lot of active stuff. You, you got to be on site, you know, you know, speak to contractors, you know, and I always talk about the first three letters in that word contractors. Um, when I, <laughs> when I deal with contractors, <laughs> horrible joke. And I love you contractors. But how, how was that for you? You know, it wasn't as bad as a lot of people have it. I've, I've had tough experiences and I know exactly what you're getting at with contractors. Um, but when I was flipping houses in my backyard, I had it pretty dialed in. Um, I think being a single mom, being busy uh, has, in one thing that I do really well is I try to make everything very efficient and I try to be very efficient with my time. So when I was flipping houses, the first thing I did is I was gonna find the best contractors that I could find that are very investor friendly. So I spent some intentional time finding, you know, the right people on my team. And once you have the right people, you don't have those headaches. Um, so I actually like networked with um, very high volume flippers, guys that were doing, you know, that actually work for more like companies, hedge funds. And I started figuring out who their contractors were and I started using their contractors. So that was like the best, you know, that's the best way to get a good contractor is figure out the high volume guys who's, you know, doing their work. Um, so once I made a couple of really good key contractor relationships, flipping houses was a breeze. I just had to focus on finding the good deals and I left everything to my contractor. He pretty much would just tell me when the project was done. Awesome. You talked about good deals. So, you know, perhaps you can share, you know, one of the good deals that you did during your flipping days. Um, you know, if you don't mind, just tell us a, a fun story about that. Gosh, I mean, I feel like I did a lot of really great fun deals and then I've done some not so fun deals. Um, Maybe tell us one of each, right? A fun one and then also fun one. Um, one of my most you know, my best deal, my most profitable deal was the biggest disaster I'd ever like experienced. Um, I bought a property and I got sued immediately by the homeowner. Um, I did not do anything at all wrong. I actually, it was a real estate owned property. So this homeowner, she foreclosed and the bank took it back. Well, the bank was actually a small private investment company. So really they just held the note. They took the home back. They foreclosed on her and she just could not wrap her head around the fact that, the, that this investment company was able to do that. Um, the loan that she took was more of a hard money loan. And I think she just thought she could borrow $55,000 on her property 
you know, and get a lender to be in second position. And she just thought a second position loan can't foreclose. Well, she borrowed the 50 grand. She didn't pay it back. And the second position lender foreclosed on her and took the house back. The house had a bunch of equity in it. So the second position lender was, you know, sitting in a really good spot. They sold the home to me. I'd heard about the opportunity just kind of through networking. I met this, um, you know, note trading, you know, company. And I said, yeah, if you ever take back a home and it's local in my area, I'd buy it off you all day long. So I bought the home right off of them. Well, guess who got to get sued? <laughs> I got sued by the homeowner because she did not think it was very fair that she lost her home. So she had to sell, she had to sue me to freeze the property. Um, so I couldn't fix it up and resell it and make a profit. Um, so she sued me and she sued that lender. That property at first was a disaster. I was like so stressed out. I ended up holding the property for two years because we were in litigation for two years. Um, the house needed a ton of work. It was um, getting broken into all the time because a lot of the time it was vacant. Um, I mean, this house like literally took off, like shaved off five years of my life expectancy as far as how much stress. Um, we, and she had a lawyer, like she got some, I think it was like a family friend lawyer. So he, you know, took it really seriously and tried to get us, like try to take the whole case all the way to trial, which, you know, was crazy because she really didn't have a case. She didn't pay her bills. You know, she didn't pay her loan and her, the house was foreclosed. They did everything right. But either way, when you get sued, you have to go through the legal system. So anyway, I thought I was going to lose a ton of money on this thing. Like I was like, oh my gosh, this is a nightmare what, at first. But the market kept going up. So in that time that I held the property, it had appreciated a substantial amount. And that to date is my highest, you know, paid flip. Once we finally sold it, I net about, I net, $90,000 on that. And that was after like I paid all the holding costs. I didn't have to pay any legal fees because my um, it was covered on, under uh, title insurance because it was something I bought really into. I didn't know. I had no previous knowledge of it. When you're a bona fide purchaser and you get sued, um, title insurance will kick in. So I didn't have to pay legal fees, but I did have to pay holding costs. Um, and I did have to pay for a lot of damage and stuff like that. So that was my best deal. Um, one of those where it started out as a really bad story and then ended up as a good story. I was very happy the day I sold that house. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> right, right. So I almost feel like I just wrapped the best and the worst. I think you did. Life. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you did. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. So, you know, you flipped the ton you know, in your, in your backyard, as you said, and then, you know, you kind of also started, you know, wholesaling out of state. A lot of folks living in California are like, Hey, I can never find good deals in my backyard. Or, you know, when I find deals, they just really had a price. So I'm going out of state. How was that for you making that transition or maybe not so much a full transition when actually start wholesaling, um, you know, virtually, right? You're like a virtual investor, which is more of a thing right now with everything going on in the world. So can you just kind of talk a little bit more about, you know, your transition into wholesaling and doing that all virtually? Well, it started with, yeah, not being able to find good deals in California. The market really heated up. It, it was about 2016 and I was having a really tough time finding deals the way I used to find. I had to, you know, reduce my margin and my 
um, you know, my expectations on what I would get on each property quite a bit. It was costing me more to get the deal and marketing, but not only was it costing me more, I was making less on the deal, like cut in half less. So it was getting very difficult for me to, you know, make a profit at the end of the day. Um, so I had to diversify. I, at first I started out with the intention of, you know, I'll do a little bit in California and then I'll do a little bit in an out of state market. So I started with building homes. I kind of fell into buying, um, these lots in Nashville and just building houses there. Uh, it was kind of random, but that was sort of my first virtual venture and it was exciting. It was fun. I made some good money doing that. Um, and then I started wholesaling in Nashville because there were all these uh, builders that wanted these lots. So I started identifying, you know, uh, the, you know, where the motivated sellers would be and what were good opportunities and what were the good neighborhoods that the builders were really gobbling up houses in. And I started marketing direct to the sellers there and then started selling those to the developers and the other investors. There was a lot of hedge fund activity in Nashville. So that was my first virtual experience. Um, and I did, there was a lot of learning. Um, and that's, you know, why I came up with a coaching program was because I, I had no mentor at all. There weren't a lot of virtual people. Um, so I had to think, you know, out of the box and trial and error and, you know, what took me four years to figure out, I wrapped up in a course that'll take someone 10 days. So yeah, I think let's 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 go to that. So there are a ton of mentors and coaches right now, obviously in the real estate investing game. So you know, what would you say makes you different, right, to other kind of coaches out there? You know, I think that there's a lot of differences. I mean, first, I would say the first thing that I pride myself on is that I always invested in my own education. So even if I like knew enough about flipping or wholesaling, I would still buy a course every single year. Um, I would still go to seminars. So I am very, I was very intentional when I was making my own course to take what I thought was good in some of the courses that I purchased, but also eliminate some of the things that are bad about some courses, because there are some things that in courses I noticed um, aren't really helpful. Um, one thing is I made my course very instructional versus like educational. So educational would be like, let me go on and on for hours about the philosophy of like why I market to a seller in this, you know, like this and blah, blah, blah. Right. Like, and I'm talking for hours and hours and hours. Right. Well, like by then the student has lost me and doesn't want to finish the course because they're like stuck on module three and they've been listening for three hours. My modules are very short. They're like five to 10 minutes long. And I just tell you exactly what to do. Step one, step two, to like it's a recipe to you know baking a cake and if you want to know the you know the philosophy behind why I do what I do or what I want that's what my coaching you know my coaching calls are for um, we can talk about it if you really want to bring that up uh, you can post it on our group Facebook group and I can give you my reasonings um, but I think most people appreciate not having to sit through like hours and hours of training modules <laughs> to get what they could have gotten in five minutes Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, I might, I might have to steal that, right? That's a really good um, <laughs> way to do it. I really like that. Just kind of like a, a recipe, right? Like if you're, you know, cooking the food for the first time and you just literally, you know, follow that step and you don't care why it's, 
half half a ounce of whatever you just you just want to yeah. make the thing right make yeah. the thing right exactly <laughs> people really do i mean i noticed that like a lot of students they get like stuck in analysis paralysis so if i give too many reasons why to do something they might challenge it or it's just more stuff for their minds to overanalyze so it's easier i think and it's more effective to just say do these steps and talk to me about it later after you've done them. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. So, you know, also I was just kind of thinking when you were talking. So if I were to be actually in California, right? And, you know, I kind of facing the same things you are, can't find the good deals. You know, you don't have to mention specifically, you know, what cities, but like, how do I know, you know, where to go invest, right? Like, what are the steps that you take to choose a market or maybe even a, a strategy within that market? What are kind of your recipe for that? The first thing I always say is search for the proven concept. So look for other people, look where and for other people doing what you want to do successfully. So you need to look for the areas where there are a lot of purchases by investors. Um, easy, we have so many tools now, you know, with the, like PropStream or ListSource, you know, what have you, you can easily find cash, cash purchases in an area. Um, so look for an area where you see a lot of cash purchases and then start getting on the phone and networking and talking with other investors who could potentially partner with you at first. Um, that's like the second thing is I say, look for a JV partner in that area. Yeah. Partnerships. Um, let's talk on that before we go into the quick run. So, you know, how do you, um, find a good partner and how do you vet a good partner? Like, you know, partnerships can be, you know, really amazing or, um, hand terribly. So, you know, how do you find a good one in the first place? Yeah. You know, good partnerships it's a lot of trial and error it's not always going to work out i like to kind of say the rule of three or the three little bears you know like this one's too hot this one's too cold this one's just right um so you might want to have three people that you're working with or talking to and you know you try them all out and see which one works out the best I think the worst is when you don't try anyone out and you just talk to the first person you talk to and you're like, oh, good, I'm done. I found my JV partner. Well, no, it's not that easy. You need to find like three of them and you need to give all three of them a shot and see how all three of them work. Last question. You know, if there's a single mom, you know, listening to us and thinking, wow, I just don't have enough time. You know, I just, I don't know how, if I can even get started in real estate. Just like what are your, what would you say to that person? What are your thoughts on that? You know, it, when you're talking to moms, I get it. Like we don't have a lot of time because kids are exhausting. I am the first person to like really commiserate with you on that. Um, when I talk to people without children and they're like, oh, I don't have time. I'm like, well, what really do you have going on? And I can dissect usually seven hours out of their day that they have time to start a business. But when you are a parent of young children, it usually that seven hours is more like one. Um, I totally get that. So when I, I give different advice to parents and non-parents, I mean, when it is a parent, I say, okay, what can you outsource? Where can you get help? So you have more than one hour a day. So if right now you literally can only think of one hour a day that you could possibly work, you need to figure out what can you outsource or what can you get help? Is there somebody that can watch your kids? Can you nanny exchange where you watch somebody else's, you know, kids at the same, you know, and then they watch your kids and you exchange 
nanny services if you don't have the money? Can you hire a nanny? Can you put your kids in daycare? Um, you, I, I released a lot of guilt for putting my kids in daycare. At first, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to do this business and stay home with my kids. And that was my first intention. I started with a corporate job and I started this business at the same time so I could quit my corporate job so I could be home with my kids. The second I was able to do that, I realized it's impossible to work around little kids. I didn't know that until I was there one day trying to make it happen and it was literally impossible. They don't let you work. So I had to then go put my kids back in daycare. Now, granted, not as long and not as many hours and as many days, but I still had to do it. And I felt really guilty about that. But I'm telling, you know, you moms out there, like, listen, you don't need to feel guilty because you put your kid in daycare a couple of days out of the week. So you can start a business that's eventually going to take care of them and send them to college. You know, that's eventually your kids are going to go off to college and they're not going to really need you anymore. And like, they're going to be so happy that their mom has something that fulfills them and keeps her busy, you know? So I kind of gave myself that type of, you know, advice and self-talk. And so now I don't feel quite as bad, yeah. but uh, you know, that would be my advice. Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. I mean, I can keep talking to you, but we're definitely, definitely dwelling into the quick rounds. These are going to be quick questions, quick answers. You ready, Ma? Okay. All right. First question. What makes you Lauren unique? What is that differentiating factor that separates you from the next girl or the next guy? I don't know. <laughs> I joke around and say I'm prolific a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's a that's a first. I haven't heard that before. I like yeah, I know, that. That's right. See, that's why I'm unique. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> um, Second question: What was the last book that you read, and what was one thing you liked about the book or you picked up from the book? Um, I've been very slowly reading *The Road Less Stupid*. I read about a chapter, uh, maybe three times a week in the morning. I, I get up pretty early. I get up around five in the morning and I try to get my reading done. I can only fit in usually a chapter. Um, and I love that book, The Road Less Stupid. It's a very good book for any business owner. Final question. What was the last, oh, sorry, what was, um, what do you do for fun? Sorry. I'm super social. <laughs> I like to hang out with my friends. <laughs> So I, I'm very social. I like barbecues and just getting friends together, going out, going to restaurants, whining and dining. Makes sense. Okay. Well, if I'm a listener thinking, wow, I really like Lorraine. I want to reach out to her, maybe jump on our coaching program. What's the best way people can reach out to you, get to know you better? Um, my Instagram handle is this mom flips. You could also find me on Facebook, although I probably won't reply to you because I get crazy DMs there. Um, it's Lauren Hardy on Facebook, but my Instagram is the better way to get around uh, all that this month flips. And if you are interested in a virtual real estate coaching program, um, go to www.virtualinvestingmastery.com. Lauren, you're an absolute legend. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I really appreciate your time today. Thanks. You may have heard the phrase, there are a thousand ways to make a thousand dollars in real estate. Well, now you can actually tune into the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast with over a thousand, believe it, or a thousand podcasts and still going. The best real estate investing advice ever show is hosted by a very good friend of mine, Joe Fellers. 
Joe talks to influential thought leaders. We share the best advice ever with none of the fluff. You've got to check this stuff out. So listen and subscribe at bestevershow.com. That's bestevershow.com.